Hello, welcome to This Week in the ACC. This is Jeff, one of your podcast co-hosts, and you can follow me on X or Twitter, whatever they're calling it these days, at Talkin' <coughs> ACC Sports. <coughs> That's at T-A-L-K-I-N ACC Sports. All right, I'm gonna, I see our guest uh, online here, so I'm going to send him the invite as a speaker. So hopefully he'll be on here shortly as I continue the introduction. Uh, you can follow our moderator, Matthew, at ASD underscore Hokey Smash. But he spends a lot more time these days at All Sports, the ACC. That's the AllSportsDiscussion.com Twitter account. And it looks like our guest is ready there, Matthew. So I'm going to turn it over to you. And let you start the podcast. Happy New Year, everyone. This week we have a return guest on the show and Michael Hunter, who runs the site ACC Basketball Report. He also has an outstanding podcast associated with the site. You can follow Michael on Twitter at, at ACCBR1. Michael, welcome back. Before we start, do you have anything you want to cl- plug? And welcome back, man. It has been a while, guys. I thank you guys for having me back. I, uh, I've actually discontinued ACCBR um, in, in, you know, I guess uh, a desire to kind of further my horizons a little bit. So we're actually doing at Tease the Dog, D-A-W-G, on Twitter at, these, at this point. And uh, it's more of a, a, a gambling site that, uh, that, I'm, that I'm kind of researching and, and trying to put out a newsletter and getting things rolling. So we've kind of hit the reset button. But uh, for now, I guess just uh, check out my weekly radio spot with Eric Haslam. On Rock 101 FM, you follow the Rockin' pregame on Twitter. Each week we release a Rockin' 25, which is an independent top 25 college basketball poll voted on by some of the best independent fans and bracketologists around the country. Guys like Eric Haslam, Rocco Miller, Dominic Lisi, Jonathan Warner, and many others. So go ahead and give that a follow and check us out. Awesome, man. Awesome. So I'm going to start out with two homework questions here, right? Because... Jeff is a Georgia Tech alum. I'm a Virginia Tech alum. Both of us are kind of feeling it about our teams right now. So give us what Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech both need to do better. The floor is yours. I, you know, I'm, I'm also a Georgia Tech fan. Uh, I like to call myself a, a long-suffering Georgia Tech fan. Um, as far as Virginia Tech goes, I'm not sure that, that, that panicking as much as accepting uh, simply put, I don't. I don't think the Hokies were really ever going to be an upper echelon team in the ACC this season. I really like Sean Padula. You know that's been well established over the last couple of years. But in order for this team to be, you know, among the top teams in the conference, Mike Young needed guys like Robbie Barron and Tyler Nickel to kind of come in and be big time. You know, as they were as 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 prep players. And, you know, Nickel's been fine, I think, but Barron has never really lived up to his billing going back to his Northwestern days. You know, the schedule leads us to believe in a, in a fair bit of uncertainty, I think, when it comes to the Hokies. I spoke last week on the Rockin' 25 that I didn't know if South Carolina was any good because the only team that they defeated heading into this weekend was Virginia Tech. And who knows if the Hokies are any good for the same reason. You know, a win over Iowa State is fantastic, but if you can't keep within you know, 15, 20 points of Florida Atlantic, Wake Forest, or Auburn, then that win against the Cyclones, it it starts to look like kind of a one-off instead of the norm. You know, even with the schedule, it's seen them play roughly half of their games against Cupcakes, they still rank outside the top 60 
both offensive and defensive efficiency. They don't hit the offensive glass, which has been an issue for, for teams under Mike Young since he arrived um, at the school. And, you know, they commit almost as many turnovers as they force, so they aren't really getting second-chance points. They aren't winning the turnover battle. And over 40% of their field goal attempts come from behind the arc, and they're 133rd in the nation in three-point shooting. So, you know, Virginia Tech kind of is what they, they are what they are at this point, I think. I, I don't think they're a tournament team, um, but I do like some of their pieces, certainly. How about Georgia Tech? Give us the take here. I, you know, I have I, – I'm a homer when it comes to Georgia Tech because because I'm a fan. Um, I had much higher expectations for this team, I think, coming into the season. They, they have some nice pieces through the transfer market. I, I believe in Damon Stoudemire, who's well-respected, uh, throughout NBA circles and did a fantastic job at Pacific, which is one of the toughest jobs in, in Division One, I, I think. But – for whatever reason, it seems to be more the same in Atlanta. And I, you know, I find myself uh, empathetic, I guess. I just, you know, it seems to be more the same. You beat Duke, but you lose to UMass Lowell. You know, you beat Mississippi State, but you lose at home to Boston College. I, I mean, it's, it's, it just seems like more the same at Georgia Tech. Uh, recruiting has picked up a bit, so hopefully uh, there, there are brighter times ahead. He does seem to know where Stone Mountain, Georgia is, and a lot of Georgia Tech coaches didn't really know that answer before, Michael. I mean, I'm being kind of a little wise-ass here because Seth, <laughs> Seth, Seth Greenberg used to go into Stone Mountain, Georgia, more than a lot of the Georgia Tech coaches did. So anyway, that seems to be seems to be a little brighter side there on recruiting, like you said. Jeff, friend. You All right. Thanks, Matthew. Michael, let's get into some early AC season uh, awards here. Um, kind of lightning around this is which ACC team uh, has impressed you the most? You know, when it, when it comes to the ACC this year, you know, continuing the uh, the, the smart ass thread, I, you know, I kind of feel like I'm, te um, I'm picking the, uh, the tallest midget here, but I'm going to go chalk. I'm going to say North Carolina. You know, wins against Arkansas, Tennessee, Clemson, and Little John is, is a big win. Um, you know, and maybe a win against one of the most surprising teams in the nation, Oklahoma, has to put, you know, Carolina firmly atop the ACC power rankings at this point. R.J. Davis, I think, is having an ACC player of the year type start to the season. Harrison Ingram has been nothing short of awesome for the Heels. So right now, you know, you could take Clemson, but... Their, their strength of schedule really isn't there. So I'm going to stick with North Carolina. I'm going to stick with the chalk on this one. All right. Uh, which ACC team has disappointed you the most? You know, and this is this is more of me being a homer, but it has to be my guys in Atlanta. I know the, the national media expectations were coming into the season were, were pretty low, but at some point, you know, you have to realize what those guys are, the, you know, the, as far as the national media goes. These guys are the real housewives of college basketball. You know, they say ridiculous stuff to get clicks and, and interactions and everyone kind of falls for it. You know, despite what they say about some of these guys, Jeff Goodman, Jason McIntyre, etc. But, you know, in my opinion, again, Damon Stoudemire did a heck of a job at one of the most difficult jobs in the country in Pacific. He's widely respected in the NBA community. He has deep ties in Atlanta, and he can relate to the kids of his generation. Unlike his predecessor, one of my biggest knocks on Josh Pastner was, I mean, he's a he's a white Jewish guy in Atlanta. I mean, it's it's not a, a thing, but 
you know, you have to be able to relate to these kids. And I didn't think Pastner had that capability. I think Damon Stoudemire does. And when you look at some of the guys he brought in, you know, Kwesi Reeves is a former five-star guy. Mari Abrams is a former four-star guy that had an opportunity to represent the USA team. Um, Debo Coleman was the highest-ranked player recruited during the Pastner era. Miles Kelly was last year's leading scorer. There's talent on this team, you know, which is evident by their victories over Mississippi State, Duke, and to a lesser degree, maybe UMass. But, you know, you can't lose to UMass Lowell in a bye game, and you certainly can't get thrashed by Cincinnati a week later by nearly 40. They've now lost three consecutive games because they can't make layups and they can't come close to even representing any kind of consistency in a single game. You know, they're going to waste Bay Dongu, who is looking like a one-and-done type guy, and it kind of feels like business as usual in Atlanta right now. Uh, you know, they have a nice class in 2024 because Stoudemire has established a nice a nice relationship with Overtime Elite, which is one of the premier, you know, prep um, schools as far as basketball goes in the nation. But, uh, you know, I would love for this team to show what they have as far as talent goes and, and show some kind of consistency and, and put it together on the floor. You know, a lot of people are going to point to new coach, new roster, but, I mean, Texas Tech isn't having a problem. You know, up until this weekend, Ole Miss wasn't having a problem. You know, new coach, new roster there. So, so what's exactly is the issue? And it feels like a, a systemic issue with inside the program, to be honest, as it's just business as usual for Georgia Tech, up and down. You never know what you're going to get at home, on the road, or even night to night, or even half to half, as we saw this, this weekend. So uh, I think Georgia Tech has been incredibly disappointing so far. All right, fair enough. And, I mean, you know, as, as a fan of Georgia Tech, too, uh, you know, especially this week, and I, I think you, you hit on it ac- totally accurately, it's their consistency that's been the biggest issue, you know, from game to game and sometimes even from half to half. And that's that's probably the, the one early criticism I would have of, of Stoudemire is that in, in, a, in a number of games, they've built big early leads, mm-hmm. you know, only to – to you know barely hang on for victories or uh you know even lose the game i mean when they even they went and played in hawaii in that tournament where they beat umass uh Mm -hmm. they had a huge lead against hawaii lost it you know were able to come back and win that game uh against bc got up 16 in the second half and then you know promptly got outscored uh they lost the game by eight by 24 the rest of the way out and I think he he still has a little bit of that NBA mentality uh, of letting his team try to figure it out as they go through these runs where I would like to see him do a little bit, you know, calling a few more timeouts. You know, he's got a young point guard, a talented guy, but but George is a young point guard, um, you know, and kind of calm his team down so that these kind of extended runs don't happen by other teams and, I think the consistency is is exactly what it is. They, there is talent on that team. Yeah, the, you know, you're going to see a lot of, and, and we kind of, I kind of dealt with this last night on Twitter. You're going to see a lot of ACC, uh, not ACC, but Georgia Tech guys come out and say, you know, the hook and hold call that was that happened over the weekend was a terrible call. You know, you know, to me, it looked like Miles Kelly uh, fouled the opposing player's elbow with his face. Um, I'm not sure what happened there. I thought that was the wrong call, but it basically went from from a one point deficit to an eight point deficit in a heartbeat. But and, and you know you can point to that, 
But then you also have to recognize the fact that Georgia Tech was up by 16 and blew that lead and was trailing at the time. And the same thing happened with the travel and the technical foul on Stoudemire where it went from, I think, a two-point lead to a five-point lead again. And, you know, all that's fine and well. Were they bad calls? You know, depends on who you ask on Twitter. Georgia Tech fans seem to think that those were egregious. Um, I don't think they were as bad, although I have my doubts when it comes to Roger Ayers. But, you know, at the same time, if you don't, if you don't burn that 16-point lead, those calls don't matter as much. And right. I, that, and I think that's the bigger issue at hand right now. All right. Uh, who do you think is the ACC player of the year at, at the midpoint of the season? Oh, I think it's RJ Davis and I don't really think it's close. Um, you know, he's doing everything, both ends of the floor. He's doing it efficiently. I think right now he's averaging about 20 points, three and a half boards, three and a half assists and, and nearly two steals a game. You know, you combine that with the fact that Kyle Filipowski is some kind of meh this season, you know, he hasn't really lived up to the billing. I think Davis kind of leads this award wire to wire unless something crazy happens. If I was going to pick some other guys, I would say, you know, P.J. Hall has an outside shot if he was a little bit more aggressive on the glass. He's only averaging about six and a half rebounds a game, but, you know, close to 20 points. And I think the dark horse has to be uh, Norchard Omeyer, um, who's been incredible lately over his last five games, averaging nearly 23 points a game and 11 rebounds. He's been fantastic for Miami, but right now I think it's R.J. Davis's award to lose. All right. Uh, who do you have as the ACC newcomer of the year at this point? And this can be a freshman or a transfer portal player. Yeah, this this question's interesting. I think there's there's a lot of good newcomers, a lot of good freshmen. I think you know a homer answer for me, uh, Kwesi Reeves and, and by Dongo for for Tech have both have both been good. Um, the Marcus Burton kid for Notre Dame has been really good on a really bad team. Uh, the Carrington kid for Pitt looks like a player. And uh, the Butler transfer playing for NC State, uh, I think his name Jaden Taylor, uh, has looked really good. Um, all that said, I think it's Harrison Ingram from UNC. Career highs, both points and rebounds. He's shooting the ball at over 42% from deep. He plays some defense. He facilitates on offense. You know, he's kind of that do-it-all Swiss Army Knife type player that Leaky Black was for UNC forever, except Ingram is way better at it than Leaky Black ever thought of being. And, you know, if they need him to be the leading scorer, he can do that. If they need him to hit the hit the glass, he can do that. You know, if he can hit big shots, he can do that. I think he's he's taken a real nice step forward since he left Stanford. All right. I think, Matthew, you got a comment here. Michael, you have to be impressed with what Wake Forest has done. I mean, they've been, they've been, they've been, I think they've been outstanding and are really a real dark horse to make some noise in the ACC and the NCAA tournament based on what I've seen so far this, this year. They just seem like they have a really complete five on the floor. And, and I thought Joe Gerrard's really played well for Clemson. I mean, in that train, you know, that that was a good transfer portal pick. Yeah, I think I guess we'll hit on Gerard first. I thought that he got kind of a bum rap at Syracuse, whether or not that's that was due to his high school kind of persona um, as being a high high scoring guard. I never thought he got a really a fair shake at, at Syracuse, um, and it seems like he's kind of started over at Clemson with a fan base that seems to respect him a little bit more um, as he teams up with some really good role playing type players like Chase Hunter in the backcourt. Um, you know, and then certainly PJ Hall, like I said, in the front court is a is a heck of a 
a front court player. I think Clemson is, has been one of the more surprising teams, not only ACC, but in the entire nation. Um, as far as Wake Forest goes, I've been impressed with, with what they do. Um, though I think they're, they're a bit of a paper tiger at this point. Um, but they've done what they, what they've done so far without one of their best players in Monsanto who hasn't played yet or played very little this season, I think, but also he's one of the, the best three point shooting forwards or players in the ACC, I think he averaged three and a half made triples per game last season. And and that's uh, an aspect of their game that they've missed so far. I think they're going to get him back at some point during league play, but you know, that's, a, that's a big piece that's been missing for, for the Deacons so far this season. And I, I don't know what they've won. I think they're 14 or 11 and three and three, and zero in the conference right now, but they've, they've certainly started off the season. Well, um, despite their, their strength of schedule being in the one fifties, you know, they've beat the teams they need to beat and they, they've avoided any kind of bad loss. So I, I agree that Wake Forest is one of the more surprising teams in the conference as well for me. All right, Jeff. All right. Uh, Michael, we're going to call this question, the ACC hot seat edition. Give us your top three coaches, uh, basketball that are on the hot seat right now. Yeah, Josh Pastner is finally gone, so we don't have to talk about that for uh, yeah the, the third year in a row. So, uh, you know, I think right now, you know, Jeff Capel has to be done, I think, this season without an NCAA tournament berth. He won't get a better opportunity, I don't think, than what he had with, with Champagny and Johnson. Um, and those guys, you know, and especially that, that team that had Justin Champagny and Xavier Johnson, some of those guys keep succeeding elsewhere. I'm looking at Ithiel Horton at, I believe, Texas, you know, and I think that just kind of makes him look way worse because he had all that talent in town and, and they, they don't look like much again this season. I'm talking about Pittsburgh. You know, he has to be on a short lease at this point. I think they're 10 and five right now. Um, Kevin Keats may have bought himself some breathing room with a berth last season, but, uh, you know, a quick first round exit, it can't be much. He doesn't have Terquavian Smith. He doesn't have Jarkel Joyner, you know, heading into league play. I'm not sure it's, it's real, real hot under his bottom, but it's gotta be warm. And then the obvious one I think is Kenny Payne is gotta be red hot. You know, the only reason he's still employed is because the program is such a dumpster fire that they don't generate the type of revenue that they did when, when Patino was fired. You know, the school used to swim in profits, but after Patino and Padgett and Chris Mack and, and Kenny Payne and prostitutes and recruiting violations and extortion and rumors of more recruiting violations, followed by Payne falling flat on his face. And, and then the whole Corn Davis situation, this program is in complete shambles. Um, however, it's still Louisville, and it only takes one donor to kind of step up and covet his or her name on a building somewhere and save your status, and this program's going to be back. So, you know, is it bad right now? Absolutely. Can they afford to fire Kenny Payne right now? Absolutely not. But somebody's going to step up. They're going to get it done, and the next hire they make, I think, is going to be a splash hire for sure. All right. Uh, Michael, rank the ACT. ACC teams as we go into the uh, major portion of ACC conference play. Yeah, this was a little bit difficult for me um, because 
the the teams are so inconsistent right now, I think. But if I had to rank them, I would say UNC, Duke, uh, Miami, and Clemson are the top four. Virginia, I would say, is five. And then you kind of got the best of the rest, uh, Wake Forest and North Carolina State. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot of Syracuse, but they, they're kind of an up-and-down team. I would have them after that. And then I got... <laughs> Boston College, Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Georgia Tech kind of bunched up right there. I think any of those teams can beat each other on any given night. Um, and then you got Pitt, Notre Dame, and Louisville kind of pulling up the rear. Which, uh, as bad as Louisville is, Notre Dame is really bad. And I'm really nervous about Georgia Tech taking on Notre Dame because they have some scoring ability. And Georgia Tech is so inconsistent that that makes me really nervous. That's a, That would be a horrible loss. For this Georgia Tech team as they're rebuilding, so um, we'll we'll see where things stand after you know a week and a half or two weeks of of league play. But for right now, that's kind of where I have it. But I think Boston College is a little bit better than people think they are, and I think Virginia Tech is probably a little bit worse than what people think they are. All right. Uh... Michael, today, how many teams, how many ACC teams are in the AC in the NCAA tournament if selections were today? Uh, that, that's another good question. Uh, I'm going to go with five, and I'm going to go with five because I think that the SEC could get as many as nine or ten teams right now, and I haven't even looked to break down the Big 12 yet. But I'm going to go with North Carolina, Duke, Miami uh, as kind of locks, and then I'm going to go with Virginia and Clemson to round up the top five. I think that Wake Forest could get there, and that six is kind of where I'm really, really starting to waver. You know, the the strength of schedule for some of these ACC teams has has been awful so far this year. So I'm not really sure what some of these teams are made of, but I'm going to go with those five for sure with uh, Carolina, Duke, Miami, Virginia, and Clemson, and then Wake Forest kind of firmly, firmly on the lip there. All right, I'm going to turn it over to you now, Matthew, as we close out the podcast. Open microphone. What do you got for us, Michael? You know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've been very bad about this myself. But uh, for me, it's been, uh, you know, as we, as we approach another election in this country, politics seems to be the big dividing point um, in this country. I'm, uh, you know, I'm accused of being a Trump supporter, which is not necessarily incorrect but i think where we've gone wrong is these these social media sites have have made enemies out of us and, and kind of divided us as a nation and what i say is you can't uh, you can't judge each other by the political component in which the people support you have to judge people by their own merits and i think that's that's become lost over the past couple of years and you know the government has successfully divided us and i think uh you need to get away from that. You can't allow that to happen. And uh, I'd encourage people to get out in their community and reconnect with, with the people in their community and, and make, you know, I, I hate to say make America great again because that's such a cliche at this point. But I think it's become really important that you kind of stop judging people by their politics and start judging people by who they are. And I think that's become more important than ever as we start heading into this election. I think we need to demand better of of our politicians and remind them who they work for and what their duty is it's not to, for them to get rich or 
or or push any kind of political agenda. It's to make lives, you know, the world a better place for Americans first and foremost, and and protect us and keep us secure. And I think that's important. I think, and a lot of people have lost track of that over the last couple of years. And, and being a politician in the United States seems to be a money grab these days. And I think that that's incorrect. And we need to start demanding better of the people that we elect to public office. Fair enough. You're up, you're up, you're up, you're up, Jeff. All right. This is our first podcast of the, of the new year. So we hadn't had a chance to, to look at, you know, the, the bowl performance. And we know, you know, with all the opt outs and everything, you know, bowls are definitely not as meaningful as they have been in the past, but there were, there were some notable results and, you know, it can be a good springboard or, or, a uh, you know, it can be kind of momentum killing in some cases. Uh, so a quick recap here, uh, Duke, even with the interim coach backup quarterback, uh, uh, Loftus, uh, came through with a nice bowl victory in the bowl, Birmingham bowl over an 11 and three, uh, 11 and two Troy team now 11 and three. Uh, so, so, uh, Duke had a nice win there to complete an eight-win season after a nine-win season. We'll see if new coach uh, uh, Manny Diaz can pick up where uh, Mike Elko left off. Uh, Georgia Tech against UCF. This was one of the highlights of the bowl season, one of the two uh, P5 wins for an ACC team. Uh, Georgia Tech behind Kings Hing and a very good offensive line ran UCF into the ground in the second half. And there's a ton of optimism about the football program that we haven't seen in many years. So really nice job by Brent Key in his first year. Mm-hmm. South Florida, 45-0 over Syracuse. Uh, no comment there. That was a disaster. But interim coach there. But Fran Brown, the new coach at Syracuse, is off to a hot start in recruiting. So keep an eye on that for Syracuse. As we look into the second week of the bowl games, I'm just going here in order as they pop up on my screen. Georgia 63, Florida State 3, doesn't matter. Florida State should have been in the playoff. Uh, you know, kudos to Georgia for, you know, playing well in that game. But um, I would have expected a similar score uh, as they were playing the Florida State JV team. Yep. Uh, Clemson in Kentucky was one of the best bowl games of the of the season this game went back and forth in the fourth quarter uh and, and clemson uh managed to win that game 38 35 and, and complete a five game winning streak to end the season uh so uh, a season that at one point was at four and four and even had some people talking about you know a losing season at clemson you know uh it's not quite up to their standards but a, a nine and four season is a lot easier to swallow than than uh, a losing season or a seven-win season. So some momentum for Clemson there. Uh, one of the other surprising upsets, Boston College over SMU. Uh, did not see this one coming. Jeff Halfley, you know, uh, Boston College got bowl eligible and then promptly lost uh, three games in a row to finish the season. And I, I didn't like this matchup. I have to be honest, when they played SMU, but uh, they played really well. Uh, in this game, uh, returning quarterback uh, Castellanos is, is back, and that's uh, one theme of some of these bowl winning teams like Boston College, young quarterback, talented quarterback, uh, Georgia Tech with Haynes King returning, and uh, we'll talk about Virginia Tech, who has uh, Karen Drones coming back, and they played well in their bowl game. 
uh, Rutgers in Miami. Uh, Mario Cristobal trying to build momentum for the next year did not. Uh, Miami was pushed around by Rutgers in an ugly game in that one. Uh, he's he's on the hot seat. Uh, North Carolina State, Kansas State. Uh, this was a pretty good game, but Dave Dorn, uh, again, NC State falls just short of that elusive 10-win season. Uh, that that would this one would have been you know we talk about meaningful games or not that would have been a, a nice finish for Louisville this season had they got that ten win. Uh, we have Virginia Tech and Tulane. Uh, this was a really good performance by Virginia Tech, very similar to to Georgia Tech in how they finished the season strongly, played well in the bowl game, returning quarterback, uh, a, a coach. Uh, and uh, Brent Pry, and they have a ton of momentum going into the next season. So uh, that that was a bowl win that that was pretty meaningful, I would say, to build momentum for the Hokies. And then our last two games: North Carolina, West Virginia. Uh, North Carolina without uh, uh, the wide receiver Walker, no Drake May, no defense as they've had all season. Fired Gene Chizik just a couple uh, recently. And uh, that was an ugly loss to West Virginia, 30 to 10. And you got to wonder if Matt Brock, Matt Brown's a little bit on the hot seat for that finish. Uh, probably, you know, I would say maybe the most disappointing performance is that Louisville um, lost to USC 42-28 against a USC team that was really struggling defensively without Caleb Williams. And uh, they just went up and down the field on the Cardinals, who lost three games in a row to finish the season. So, you know, good season for, for Louisville. You can't take that away from them. But uh, that was a, a big opportunity over a brand program to get a bowl win. So quick review of the bowl season. And, um, yeah, let's get – now I'm, I'm totally focused on college basketball. <laughs> but uh, North Carolina's answer on defense is, is former Georgia Tech head coach Jeff Collins, which – I'm, I'm not sure that's the answer here. Uh, we'll, we'll just say uh, uh, good luck to uh, North Carolina on that coaching decision. <laughs> that was kind of that was an that was an interesting choice at, at best. Uh, I will I'll, I'll say that I'll say this one quick thing. I'll I'll use my micro my open microphone to ask Michael a question. Michael, I'm shocked. I've seen some reports out there that have the Big Ten with more teams in the NCAA tournament than the big East. And oh. I, I'm, I'm floored by that kind of, are you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am, I've been unimpressed, I guess is, is the best word by the big 10 this season. Um, you know, Purdue, <sighs> Purdue is, is, is an interesting team. Um, they have been for the last couple of years. I think last year was, was interesting because, you know, they had Zach Eady and then they had a bunch of freshmen that they relied heavily upon. Those freshmen are, are sophomores now. And Purdue has this very interesting way about themselves where they play really hard and they, they do great things when they're not ranked number one in the nation. And then as soon as they get ranked in the top spot in the nation, they immediately lose. And it's 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 very weird because I think they're clearly the best team in the country um, <clears throat> outside of Purdue in the Big Ten is kind of a crapshoot. I guess I would go with Wisconsin, but or you know 
are, are they a second weekend team? No. You know, Illinois is having problems with with their, I guess, uh, makeup again, which wasn't which wasn't difficult to see. I don't think. I, I don't know how good Ohio State is. I don't really know how good Indiana is. Nebraska is a very interesting team right now. You know, I think Penn State is is not good. Northwestern, I don't think is great, despite their victory over Purdue. Michigan State seems to turn it on. Is seemingly turning it on right now. I think. The, the Spartans are about to be a team that rips off, you know, seven, eight, nine wins in a row, I think, before they before they show down with Wisconsin in late January. But, you know, uh, the, the, the Big Ten may be deeper with, with classic um, tournament teams. But when you look at the Big East and you got Connecticut, Villanova, you know, Patino's doing his thing at St. John's right now. Seton Hall has beaten uh, Providence, UConn, and Marquette in their last three games. So Shaheen Holloway is really turning it on and showing us that there, there may be something there. I know Marquette, I think, is a top 10 team in the nation. Creighton, I think, is a top 20 team in the nation. Providence, uh, I'm not really buying. But, you know, the Big Ten may be deeper with mediocre teams, but I think the Big East is better with teams that actually have a shot to get to the Elite Eight or possibly the Final Four. I think Connecticut is is one of the favorites to get to the Final Four and maybe the, the best team to have an opportunity to go back-to-back -back since Florida did way back when Billy Donovan was still in the coaching ranks in, in college. So, you know, the, the Big Ten may get more teams into the tournament, but I think the Big East teams are, are more uh, equipped to go further into the tournament. I'm with you 1000%. And I even, I even judge this by how well, I mean, Georgetown's bad, right? Georgetown is a bad yes. team right now, but they gave TCU every possible thing they could handle. Mm -hmm. And which means that, I mean, I think eventually Georgetown's going to be good. And the coaching was, you know, that was all coaching that right? all coaching that game when they played mm -hmm. TCU and, I'm with you 1,000% that you've got, you know, you may have more teams that get in, but you have from the Big Ten, but you've got certainly higher quality teams in the Big East. So absolutely, yeah. I'm with you 1,000%. Michael, thank you for joining us on the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast. We'd love to have you come back on the show sometime, friend. Absolutely. I'll see you guys next year, same time. Take care. Have a good one. You too.